12. Okay, Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room even outside the door. While he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. But some of the teachers of religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, what does he say? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking, so he asked them, why do you ask this question in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. And Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat, and walked out through the stunned onlookers. They were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, we've never seen anything like this before. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, in this time that we have with you this morning, that you would impress upon your word, upon our hearts. Lord Jesus, that we would leave here different than the way we came, that we would see people radically different the way, the way in which you see people. And we just pray all this in your name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Glad to be with you all this morning. You won't see me much around here, and it's not because I'm protesting Kevin, okay? Um, but if there is a protest of Kevin, let me know. I might want to join. I don't know. No, I, I'm, I'm the guy that when Kevin makes an announcement or there's something in his message, I send him a snarky text, okay? I'm that guy. Um, so whenever he says something, I always send a text and he knows whenever he sees my name, here comes the sarcastic response. What is it? You know? And so, um, so you need to ask Kevin sometime, uh, what I say back to him because I always wait on him to either make a mistake or what I felt like was a mistake, uh, and then kind of jump on him. But we love pastor Kevin, love his family. Um, I'm over at the Springs Church doing an interim pastorate role, and so that's why I'm not around much. But on Wednesday nights, you might see me some because I do, uh, my wife and I do the Fuse fourth and fifth grade class that we started this last fall, and we love that. Um, so I'm kind of hit and miss around here, but I'm with you in spirit, okay, is what I'd say to that. I want you to look this morning at several things here as we look at this paralyzed man and what's going on with these men. And so when we start this message, I've got some observations, and then I want us to move into some application. First observation that we have with this is this, the crowds, crowds can be a barrier or a bringer. Now, I know some of you teach, okay, you're in school and you're like, bringer is not a word, okay? I understand this, but see, my education was in Arkansas, okay? And, and that word's a thing down there, all right? I'm just going to tell you. Actually, it's not. But what I want you to understand is, is this. 
the crowds are all standing around. Here's this house that Jesus is back in. He's already done several miracles. So he's kind of got the wow factor going on. You notice this by the, even the last verse that we read. We've never seen anything like this before. He's already done some amazing miracles where they've said much the same. And now then they know he's back in the house. And so they're packed tight. You've got the religious leaders inside. You've got his disciples in there. You've got other people inside the house and then outside the house. And if you know anything about that day and time, they're windows were not like what you and I have as windows and what we, you and I have as doors. They would have left all that stuff open, wide open during the daytime to get cool breezes or at least try to get a cool breeze coming through. And so there's all these people jam-packed around the house, so much so that not even in the doorway could you stand watch what Jesus was doing. And so they're trying to listen in from all these modes. And so if you can imagine this massive crowd being around, they're trying to be as quiet as possible so that they can hear the words of Jesus. And maybe they'll glimpse a miracle because maybe they've never seen something like that before. Maybe others are there who have seen miracles and that's what they're drawn to is, what's he gonna do next? But notice what the crowd is doing. You've got a paralyzed guy coming on a mat. It's kind of obvious. This isn't like someone kind of limped up and you kind of missed the fact that he or she limped up. There's four men, there's a mat, there's a guy on it. I would bet anything in this group if you all knew that there was a paralyzed person out in their car and maybe their wheelchair or whatever it was that they used to get around on quit working or is not functioning properly. I would bet anything that if I said, hey, we need to be able to get that paralyzed man in here, I think almost everyone would jump up. (laughs) Others would be moving things out of the way to get them in. What is going on with the hardness of hearts where they don't even get out of the way? Do you see how they're a barrier? They're an absolute barrier to someone getting to Jesus. Wouldn't it be obvious that you would just go, oh no, we need to get out of the way? But what do these men know? As they're bringing this friend to Jesus, what's happening? The crowd is so large, so massive. No one says, hey, yeah, come on in. Yeah, you can have my spot. Hey, hey, let's move out of their way. What do they do? They get very selfish with Jesus. Did you know that we as church people, we as Christians, we as Christ followers can get very, very selfish of Jesus? We get very, very comfortable You know, our church here, we need to ask people to switch from the later service to the earlier service, right, to this service. That takes some rearranging for some people, and others are like, well, I was up anyway, you know, it's fine, I I can go then. But I want you to understand, sometimes we as Christ followers, the last thing we want to do is reorient any pattern that we have in our life. The last thing that we sometimes want to do is open up our group or the dreaded multiply our group. You never say the word divide, by the way, in church, okay? It's a very negative word. But if we say multiply, you can't fight against us. See, we pastors learn all these things in seminary. I know you're like, wow, you all are really smart, aren't you? Not really. Um, We're about 20 years behind culture, but we're catching up. Um, But when it comes to that, there's this threat of like, well, wait, what will I do with my friends? And what will happen here? Do you see how it creeps in? We can get to where Jesus is about us. And yeah, I know that there's some people that might need Jesus, but the last thing I want to do is become uncomfortable. Last thing I want to do is to have to do that. When I was growing up in Little Rock, we were a part of a large church. It was growing rapidly. Geyer Springs is is my home church down there in Southwest Little Rock. 
And what happened was during the middle of that growth, we ran out of room. And I mean, when we ran out of room, we were out of room. There was not another place to put another class in. And they went to us as junior high students, as middle school students, and they said, hey, we bought this property right next door. It's the middle of wintertime. Would you all go over there and meet? But what you need to know is, is this. The rest of the house is being used by other like young adult groups. We've kind of got you in this um, glorified closet. (laughs) It was really large, okay? It's storage kind of area. But you need to know there's no heat in there. And we were trying to figure out, would you guys be willing to go over there? And we did. And I remember going in as a seventh and eighth grader and understanding this is what we're on mission about. Even if it's cold, even if it's rainy, this is where we're going to be. Now, they did get us a little space heater kind of thing, but if you've been around when it's really, really cold, (laughs) that doesn't do... Well, except for the first person that gets there and you kind of angle to make sure you're warm, it doesn't really do you any good. But what I remember about those days is they were sweet days. They were awesome days because... Teenagers were coming to Christ. Adults were coming to Christ. And the church was growing. And you know what I realized at that moment? This is the only path forward in the kingdom that really, really counts and matters to Jesus. And here we have this crowd that refuses to get out of the way of a paralyzed guy. Now, what you need to understand about that day and time, and and it was taught quite frequently, even the disciples talked about this in other parts. They believed that if you got a really bad disease... This was God's judgment on you. That was taught. Do you not remember when the disciples looked at him and says, hey, we just need to know, uh, is this person the sinner or were their parents the sinner or what happened here? Remember that? Okay. So what does that mean? Even the disciples, Jesus' disciples had been taught, if something really bad happens to you, it's a judgment of God. If you have a disease, if you have a crippling, that's the judgment of God on your life or your family's life. Do you see why the crowd probably didn't move? Because here was the hardness of their hearts. That guy probably got what he deserved. I don't know what sin he's got, but it must have been terrible. That's why they didn't move. You know, sometimes don't we as Christians get into that? Well, that person got what they deserve. Well, you know that person. But boy, we always want mercy, don't we? You do something wrong, don't you want grace, don't you want mercy? Because your intention is good, your heart is good. But that person over there, their heart's bad, their heart's evil. Man, they ought to get it. We kind of do the same thing. The next observation I'd give to you is this. The four men would do anything to get their friend to Jesus. Four men would do anything to get their friend to Jesus. Now, I don't know if you've ever carried anything that has dead weight in it, but it's hard to pick up stuff. This time of year especially, do you ever go over to Home Depot or Lowe's and you see the really large bag of mulch? Not the small bag, right? Not the small bag. Or the really large bag of soil, and you're like, oh, 60 pounds, I can pick that up. And you go over there, (laughs) and you realize it's not as though that you couldn't pick up the weight if it had a handle on it. It doesn't come equipped with a handle. And you're doing everything you can, right, to get it (laughs) into your cart. And all of a sudden, that 60 pounds is a lot heavier than what you thought for these guys. And they're carrying this man with a mat. He doesn't live next door. That's not where he's coming from. We don't know how far they came, but I can tell you it would have been an arduous journey. 
Because they don't even know that the house is full or else, you know what they probably would have done? Ah, let's go at another time. But what do they do? They hear Jesus in town. They run to go get their friend. They pick up that mat. They've got each of them with a corner. Now, this is not like a modern mat that you and I would have made sure it did have handles on. And this would have been just kind of a ragtag put together thing. And so they take this guy and they're carrying. Do you not understand that at some point in time, their forearms would have been screaming from having to grip like that? Have you ever gripped something so long that when you let go, your hand was still like this? And you're like, how does it do that? Well, I forever be like this. And then when you, and then you're having to like force it open because the muscles have so constricted. Don't you know that at some point in time and many times as they're carrying this guy through there, they would have said, I got to have a break. I got to have a break. And then I had to shake out their hands and shake out their calf muscles. It's just been incredible amounts of pain. And as they're bringing sweat pouring off of them that they get there, here's this massive crowd. Nobody moves out of the way and they don't say, better luck next time. I don't know which one of the four said it, but they would have sat that man down and one of them would have said, I got an idea. That's not the guy you usually listen to. Okay. I'm just going to tell you, I got an idea. All right, Fred, what's your idea? We're going to get on the roof. No, man, we're not getting on the roof. We're going to get, listen to me, we're going to get him up on the roof. How do we even get him up on the roof? We could barely get him here. How are we going to get him up there? Just listen to me. We're going to get on the roof. When we get to the spot where Jesus is teaching from, we're going to tear the roof off. No, I'm out, Fred. I'm out. Because those guys have some sort of experience with Jesus, don't they? They know the power that man has within him. I think they're probably even a follower of Jesus because they understand his power. They understand what they're after. They're going. And one of them would have come up with the plot and said, we're going to get over there. We're going to get on top of that roof. We're going to slide him over. We're going to tear that roof. We're going to lower him down. And if I'm in that group, I'm like, listen, I think you're going to cheese off Jesus is what I think. I think he's going to get mad. I don't think he's going to like this plan at all. Let me ask you this question. If someone right now got up on this roof of this church, they started tearing a hole, right? Because they're not going to tear through this. Have you driven by? It's more of a metal roof, okay? So you got you to have a rip saw or something to get through there. Get the saws all out, you know? What happens? It's a massive distraction. Wouldn't we all say, hey, we're trying to do church, Come back another day. We're trying to love Jesus in here, and you're a massive distraction. Imagine this. You just interrupted Jesus in the middle of his sermon. Whoa. You better know Jesus if you're going to do that. You better have a good handle on his heart, because you're interrupting Jesus right in the middle of his sermon. Look at Jesus' response, though. He says something in the Greek that you don't pick up in our translations. He says the word technon, which in their language meant little child. So when they lower that man down in front of Jesus, here's what he literally said. Little child, do not have fear. Because that paralyzed man realized I am in the presence 
of the creator. I'm in the presence of God and I can't crawl away. I can't run. He could take me out. So he is the lion of Judah, right? But he's also the lamb of God. At that point, he's not the lion, he's the lamb. And he's letting them know, I'm not here to scare you. Little child, don't be afraid. And what does Jesus do secondly there? He deals with the eternal, not the temporal. Why did these men bring him there? Well, they want the physical healing. I think they also wanted some spiritual things, but they wanted that physical healing for their friend. But what does Jesus do? He doesn't deal with the temporal. He deals with the eternal first. It's what he always does. And he looks at him and he says, my son, listen to that. My son, your sins are forgiven. The religious leaders are sitting right there. They don't say anything out loud, but Jesus knows their thoughts. He looks at him and says, why do you have a problem with this? what's, What's the deal here? And they just think it's all blasphemy. Who can forgive sins? What, you know? They're in shock. Here's what I love about that moment. Do you realize that Jesus still had a heart for the terrible, angry, judgmental religious leaders? Because it's his house. He could have told them, your kind's not wanted here. I want all the other people in, but you guys can be outside somewhere. And if there's room, you can stand at the back. Do you realize that Jesus in his grace still is reaching out to these religious leaders? He's still trying to show them, I'm the son of God. I'm I'm that one. He brings them in close. He lets them see. He responds back to him and says, you're way off in your theology. You don't get it. The next thing is, is this. It really is easier to say your sins are forgiven because nobody can see that. It's harder to say, get up, take up your mat and walk, because you got to prove that one. See, if I said it and someone doesn't get up and walk, what can you say? Oh, you don't have that power. So when Jesus asked them that question, what they knew was they're caught. Because if they say, well, we think it's easier to have someone get healed, and if he heals them, what does that mean? That means he can forget. If they say that forgiveness is a little bit easier, where are we going to go? Because we know theologically that's not true. They can't answer this because they don't know what he's going to do, but they have a sneaky suspicion because they've seen this before, he's going to do it again. (laughs) And he looks down at the guy and says, get up, take up your mat and walk. I'm showing you this so that you will know my authority. It's easier to say your sins are forgiven. If I said it to you this morning, no one can see it. Nobody really knows. So it's easy to say it, right? May not be true, but it's easier to say than if you came in and you were paralyzed and I said, here, stand up and get up and walk out. Now then all eyes are watching. And Jesus lovingly saves this man first, then turns to show them the authority that he has. I want to give you your good practical stuff that I give in a message each time. A follower of Jesus is absolutely unreasonable. A follower of Jesus is always unreasonable. It was not reasonable for the men to go find their friend 
and pick up that mat and carry him who knows how far. It was not reasonable to get there and say, you know what? We're going to get up on that roof. And you know what we're going to do? Then we're going to tear it off. See, at some point in time within that house, once they got him up there, I think one of them had to get back down. He had to look through there and be like, no, he's over that way a little more. No, back, back. Ladies, are you married to a directionally challenged man? You know what I'm saying, ladies? Okay. No, back. Do you not understand which way back is? Back, back is back. Behind you, behind you. Where your eyes are not. Ladies, aren't you grateful that man has come up with Google Maps for your man, okay? Because he'll argue with you, there's a road over here. <clears throat> well, not according to Google Maps. So I'm telling you, there's a road over there. He'll get lost all by himself, even with Google Maps, because he'll argue with Google Maps. But you know what took place there? At some point in time, they found exactly where Jesus was, and they got on top of that roof. Now, you've got to understand, this is a thatch roof. It's mud, it's straw, it's all that sort of stuff. It's not like what we would have here. But even in our day and time, if I went to remove your roof, what is going to happen? Dust, debris, stuff is everywhere. You need to wear safety goggles and everything because the insulation, right? It's going to be nasty, have you ever been around a construction site? What is it 24-7? Nothing but dust. Nothing but sawdust. Nothing but insulation. Nothing but, everything is always dusty. Now imagine this above our Lord and Savior's head. You hear. <coughs> and they're ripping it out by hand because they don't have a power tool. They rip it out by hand where they finally create a hole. They're right above Jesus' head. Debris is falling not only in his beard and on his clothes, it's falling in his eyes. I know we always have this <clears throat> holy aura of Jesus that, you know, the dust would have just been like, you know, pushed away. Hail over his head, almost like a bubble. No, it wouldn't have happened. And in that moment... All that stuff would have gotten his eyes. Now, do you understand the gravity of what's going on here? You've interrupted Jesus's message. This better be good. And he better want you to do this. And as they tear that hole large enough to get that man as they lower down, imagine those four heads peering over, down over Jesus and Jesus looking up at them. Wouldn't your heart, mine would be wondering, what's he going to say? I wonder if Jesus didn't say, who's going to fix that hole? <laughs> Just kidding. You ever thought about that in this story? You do realize that somebody's got to fix this hole. It's the homeowner. Homeowner's not Jesus. Jesus is staying in the home. If the homeowner's watching this, what are they thinking? Who's going to fix that hole, right? And they tear this thing apart. They're watching out their friend. They're listening in, and they hear Jesus say, your sins are forgiven. They're probably like, and? And? And then there's this debate going on with these guys in the room, and they're like, and? And finally, Jesus says those words that they long to hear 
Hey, get up off your mat. Get out of here. Now, isn't it interesting? The crowd could get out of the way for the guy that was healed, but they weren't going to get out of the way for the guy who was paralyzed. You got a problem. You got a problem when you do it that way. See, we as Christians are called to bring the paralyzed in. That's our job. It's blood, sweat, and tears. It's giving. It's serving. It's doing all those things. Because when we're not doing that, we don't care about the paralyzed man. What we're doing is, is we're like the crowd that goes, oh, yeah. No, man, you back there. No, I'm, I'm doing my church thing. Don't, don't, mm-mm. See, at some point in time, someone did have to repair that roof. I will tell you, this is just a guess on my part. I don't think Jesus magically did the thing, right? Where all of it goes back up and like, wow, it's better than new. I don't think he did any of that. I think someone had to come behind, likely the homeowner, and had to put it back. And I think Jesus probably would have said to that person, just as their role was to tear the roof in to get the man in, your role, put it back. You're going to join in the mission. And I'm not going to fix everything by magic. Not going to do that. You're going to be part of it. For you and for me, the big question is, is this, what are we willing to do to introduce people to Jesus? Are we willing to be like those four guys that didn't allow anything to stand in their way? You know what they were? They were unreasonable. Because reason would have said, go home. Reason would have said, don't get on the roof. Reason would have said, don't you dare try to tear a hole in someone else's house. Reason would have said, Jesus is in the middle of church. That's what reason would have said. But unreasonable men and women are f- who follow Jesus closely. And they go, no, Jesus likes this sort of stuff. He likes middle schoolers who will get cold so that new kids coming in can be warm. He likes people who sacrifice dollars so that other people can hear in Guatemala and here in Springfield. So you have to get real uncomfortable or else we become the crowd that's the barrier. When we're not giving, when we're not serving, when we're not loving, be unreasonable people. Let's pray.